Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello everybody, welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast for another week. Proudly sponsored by Subway, get your mid-match feast delivered fresh, Subway eat fresh. Matt Walsh, Jared Barker and Christian Jolly with you today. We're joined for the first time in 2022 by Josh Dunkley. Dunks, firstly, welcome. Secondly, welcome to the studios here at ESPN. Very luxurious, I'm sure you're aware. Yeah, thanks guys. Thanks for having me on. Um, It's obviously been a, a different couple of years and it's nice to finally be here in person in the in the studio as you mentioned a few times on zoom so we've seen the uh, the background of your house a few times it's probably <laughs> not quite as glamorous here in the edit suites at disney but uh we'll make do yeah it'll be good looking forward <laughs> to it uh aside from having josh on the pod today we've got a bunch to get through obviously a lot of off-field stuff is dominating the news cycle right now but there's some on-field stuff we've got to get to because this week looks like an absolute belter uh, every club inside the top eight's playing one another few crunch games outside the eight and Josh will talk to you about the dogs this week as well uh, so there's a lot to get to but before we do crack in something from the the round that you noticed JB uh, I'm gonna go to the Will Powell injury best oh. of luck uh, to him in his recovery as well it's obviously yeah an awful looking injury uh, there which to see him miss the rest of the season uh, but the thing that I noticed about the injury like I'm a really squirmish kind of guy i can't handle that gruesome sort of stuff so i i looked away straight away when i saw his knee just sticking out at right angles um the thing i noticed about it though was the crowd in that bay directly in front of him they just all got their phones out and just started filming it and just they couldn't take their eyes off it so again i'm someone who just looks away starts clenching the fist like i can't handle it and then i go on tiktok and i see the videos posted on tiktok so they're just filming his knee uh, sticking out his ankle going this way that way and I'm like how can you actually have the guts and the stomach to film it and then post it I'm, I, don't, I don't know maybe I'm just weak or the Gen Z's built different man yeah. there's something about them they love that kind of stuff I mean yeah. you would have seen Cody Waitman's injury Josh Yeah, that's pretty gruesome to look at I saw it right up close Oof. and I remember I did the same thing I just yeah. looked away straight away because I've been through that experience myself where something's not in the right spot and um, you don't want to look at it that's for sure no. Christian something from the weekend that grabbed your attention uh, yes, that's probably someone that we've spoken about on the podcast before and probably said he's overrated in terms of his kicking, but I've actually noticed Josh Kelly's kicking has seriously improved this year. So, I mean, we spoke about him probably two or three years ago in terms of he was his kicking just looked nice. And I think Jake mentioned every time he turned it over, which was probably three or four times a game, the commentators would say, oh, it's very unlike Josh Kelly to turn it over. But we sort of, you know, started to realise, well, he didn't hit the... Uh, hit the target as often as run like. But yeah, the money kick, the kick inside 50 this year is the only one, he's at 51% scoring percentage for kicks inside 50, the only one of the top 50 above 50%. So when he kicks inside 50, Gold Coast are more likely to, uh, sorry, GWS are more likely to score than not. Um, And as I said, yeah, just sort of, we've spoken about him being overrated. I thought, oh, well, we'll give him some love and actually show that, yeah, now he's actually looking uh, looking at as a beautiful kick and he's actually hitting the target at the end of the kick. The Sean Burgoyne rule, where any time Sean Burgoyne turned it over, they say, well, that's uncharacteristic of him because yeah. he's normally such a good kick. Uh, Dunks, something from the week that you noticed. Yeah, I mean, from a player's perspective, um, up in GWS on the weekend, uh, just how small the crowd was. It was a bit of a different one. Whack! Up there, um, probably expected it to be a little bit bigger, you know, given the... I don't know, the, the bit of the rivalry that we've built and Saturday night footy, and it was actually a really nice day up there. So, yeah, little one for me, just to, I don't know, sort of question why the fans weren't there. It's probably stark as well when you, you experience that, the prelim final um, those years ago, um, and then comparing that to the weekend, it's only 6,000. That probably makes it really stark in your mind as well. Yeah, is absolutely. That, is that something that you know, like when you run out on the ground, do you notice that, or do you say to one of your teammates, geez, what's going on here? Yeah, I remember we ran out in the warm up. Well, you talk about the prelim final. We ran out in the warm-up then, and it was like there was more Bulldogs supporters there yeah. in the house. They'd come from Melbourne. It was awesome to run out and hear the, mm. the massive cheer. And then on the weekend, there were probably more Bulldogs supporters there again, um, to be honest. But there was a few comments running out this weekend saying how how many people weren't there. So, um, yeah, it's obviously a, a little thing that sort of plays in the back of your mind. But at the same time, when you run out and you play footy, it's all it's all a bit of a blur. 5,000 more people went to Gold Coast Adelaide the very next day. So that was the big surprise for me that they got almost 11,000, which, you know, almost yeah. twice as more as GWS. I think the Giants have had a crowd over 8,000 at Giants Stadium this season, which must be a little bit of concern. And you've got context having played them in Canberra as well mm. previously. I think it was last year you played them in Canberra. Yep. Is that a more intimidating venue to play them at? 
Yeah, it's definitely colder in Canberra. <laughs> but, oh, uh, that style. Yeah, but they do. They they turned up last year. I remember that was the game that actually did my shoulder. So not too good of memories there for me. But um, yeah, the crowd normally rocks up at Canberra. It was, it's still pretty good at Giant Stadium. It's a bit of a hike out of Sydney, probably why a lot of people can't make it. And yeah, I mean, the, there's a lot of talk about crowd numbers these days, but hopefully um, things turn around in the back end of the season. We can see some good games of footy. Absolutely. Hey, we mentioned off the top, there's a lot going on on the field this weekend, a few cracking matches uh, that, are, that are scheduled, but there's a lot happening off field as well. Uh, the Jordan Goey stuff won't go away. JB, you're a Collingwood man. You've sort of seen what's happened. The Pies have reportedly withdrawn a contract that was in front of him because uh, there's a video that kind of went viral of him with some, you know, sort of dodgy looking behavior in Bali, a few gestures, you know, grabbing at the tops of women, this kind of stuff. And normally it's something you probably look at and think, oh, if that's the off-season, it probably wouldn't get too much attention. But given it happened during the bye, uh, a lot of attention has been uh, placed on Dugowie. And given his history, um, there's a lot happening. Firstly, I want to get your impressions of the last sort of week. We haven't heard from Collingwood yet, as of when we're recording this on Tuesday around midday. Where do you think this should go for Dugowie? Because this is not one strike, two strikes, three strikes. This is now kind of the fourth big indiscretion after he... You know, it was bitten by the dog on the hand. Uh, he's, I think he's had a DUI as well, you mentioned before. There was the, the US court case that he had to front, uh, and now obviously this. I think the Pies have already, as a club, done what they're supposed to do, and that's allegedly, you know, withdraw the con the contract. Um, I guess what that does now for Dugowie is put the ball in his court if he wants another contract. He's actually got to go and earn that now. Um, so reportedly it was... Or 800k to to four years with a with a trigger clause. Um, yeah, as I said, now it's up to him to make those changes, uh, earn the trust in his club, uh, and earn that contract. It just can't be handed out to him anymore, and he sort of put himself in that position. Uh, it's unfortunate to him, but again, as a player, um, you know, of his experience, he needs to, you know, take on that responsibility of when he's out. He he just can't muck up like he has um mm. you, you if you treat the incidents you know on its own merit it's it's obviously not a good look uh, i think we've all seen the video um but then when it's a player who has the backlog of legal indiscretions that degoey has had you have to question why he made those decisions i don't think there's anything wrong with him being in bali i know some people do i, I think that's fine i think players you know they're not robots the clubs don't own them they can do whatever the hell they want they all have different lifestyles different hobbies just like you just like me we all do different things and to go is a player who i think clearly enjoys the party lifestyle the the nightclubs and enjoys that sort of life and, and that's you know all credit to him that that's fine a lot of people enjoy that a lot of players enjoy that he's not the only afl player i'm sure that um you know enjo enjoys the nightlife but i think it comes back to him having the responsibility as an experienced footballer to not go out and you know mess up and you know he has to understand that he's viewed in the public a lot differently to a normal 26 year old joe blow and i think that's something that he probably hasn't comprehended yet when i look at the whole situation and whether he likes it or not i think mm. it just it's just something that comes with the territory and josh you can speak to this um when you're a footballer you're in the public eye a lot more you are role models for children and this is kind of the stuff that I, i'm assuming and correct me if i'm wrong that does play on your mind when you are in public yeah i mean i'm always constantly thinking about it for me personally i just tend to not go out as much um i'm, I'm not a huge nightlife sort of person but yeah for geordie i mean i see both sides of it i understand that he was in bali i know a couple of other pies players were over there too so it's probably just making the smarter decisions around you know who's got the camera what's going on where it is because you do notice that as players and people out in the public when someone's filming you you can gen like gen genuinely tell who who it is and where it is so just to be a bit more careful next time and um yeah i know he's made a few mistakes now but i'm sure the the collingwood boys are wrapping their arms around him and trying to support him and help him through whatever it is what is it that you did for the buy i actually got away to adelaide i went over and watched my girlfriend play netball and spent a couple of days there the weather wasn't too great. It was similar to Melbourne, um, cold and wet. So No barley. Nah, no barley, um, which was, I don't know, disappointing, you could say. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then the following, because we had four days and then the next weekend we had two days. So the next weekend I went home to the farm and spent some time with my family. And uh, that was that was actually really refreshing and nice to, to do that to then yeah, lead into the back half of the season. Do the Bulldogs come to you pre-season or leading up to a bye and say, you can do this, you can't do this? Or is it just sort of a an unwritten rule but is there an expectation that you just you don't go overboard because you are still in season 
Yeah, I, I think there's an element to that. Like everyone goes interstate. Um, some guys might fly back to Perth. Some might fly to Queensland, whatever it might be. But there is a, a trust element that you're going to be, you're going to keep your head screwed on in a way. Um, you know, I'd be lying to say that no one would have a drink or, you know, go out and party or whatever it might be. It's just up to the individual. And as long as you're fronting up to, to training when you're expected to um, in a good matter of or condition, I guess, that's the main thing for us. And, you know, we trust our guys to make good decisions. Um, obviously, the the Geordie stuff didn't go the way that he would have planned, but I'm sure that, as I mentioned, that the boys will be wrapping their arms around him and hopefully turning things around. I think that's that's an important part. There has to be a clear level of trust between mm. player and club. Um, that's why I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that um, Collingwood, you know, as its own organisation, let these players do what they want and go overseas to Bali. I think that's the sort of trust that... Craig McRae as a new coach in a new club he's trying to build a new yeah. culture and a new mm. environment so it's yeah. probably a good thing that he said guys yeah go, go and do your thing just just don't stuff just stuff up you yeah, get well, remain. I think they had seven days so mm. they had a long is time is that unusual? yeah that's unusual well, we normally have like four and two or whatever it might be three and three but they've like McRae's obviously gone mm-hmm. over the top and said alright here's seven days not over the top but mm. I think that's showing a lot of trust in your players and I'm sure the players would have respected that a lot so yeah, yeah. The, the, the timing's just not ideal. I mean, the Pies no. are currently in the middle of trying to revamp their culture and, and their look from the outside. And they're having a good report. season too. And they're having, they're having a really good season. I think they're exceeding the expectations of just about everyone who, who would have thought that. Yep. So, And the fact that, yes, coupled with they are trying to revamp this culture in, you know, in the wake of the Do Better report, to have something kind of come out like this where Dego is acting the way he is, it's just not an ideal timing for the club. Uh, it's not ideal timing for him, given his pre- previous indiscretions, and and clearly there's going to be a lot of media scrutiny on him because he is a high paid player. And that's why the I mean even the the timing of it is sort of it's almost I mean you talk about how bad, but it's almost great for Collingwood in terms of it did come in the middle of his contract extension, so it's almost like great for Collingwood to be able to pull that back because I see that as being probably the biggest thing out of it is now that contract extension has to be pulled, and we'll talk about it before. It's all speculative figures, eight fifty, yeah. you know, four years and all that sort of stuff. But the other players at the club know that too. So you look at what Collingwood are trying to do, are trying to rebuild the club and rebuild their their identity and their expectations of players. If they go out and pay their biggest party boy, someone that keeps getting into indiscretions, the most money of anyone at the club, yeah. how does that play into all the other 38 guys that they're bringing in, draftees to the future? They just think, well, we're coming to a club, but we can just get we can get paid to party. So yeah. it's almost like Collingwood have almost you know yeah. been able to pull that contract off the, offer off the table and made the whole club sort of you know have a look at you know it's you don't want to make an example of a player but have a look at if you don't if you let the club down with expectations then we're not going to pay you the big bucks and sort of that, it'll be interesting to see how you know whether Dugowie does get another contract how many years it is and sort of I know we don't know the exact um, uh, pricing and cost of contracts but I can guarantee it won't be anywhere near the ballpark that they were talking about a month ago yeah, the, the onus is on him he needs to make that change it's not on anyone else um, um, yeah d- sorry if I can just question without notice Dunks do you notice as a now experienced footballer have you noticed any change in the way that you need to try and be perceived in the public maybe from when you first started at the doggies to now have you changed the way that you are in public knowing that you are a role model and you are viewed a little bit differently to the average person yeah personally uh, probably not I've always tried to remain level headed and um, be the person that I was growing up and you know back home in the community so I mean early days as a younger player you do tend to go out a little bit more like that that scene sort of appeals to you a lot more and um, I've probably learned across the the years that I've been involved that I don't really need to do that you know I'm I'm pretty well settled at home and and happy living the life that I do so for me being that role model is a bit different to others and we were talking about it off air before but everyone's different everyone enjoys little elements to their life and I mean, football is one thing for us and then, you know, you got to be able to get away from it. So for some guys, getting away from footy is going out and, and having a good time. So I think there's two different stories to the to the, the Geordie stuff and um, to every little thing that happens out there. But for me, yeah, personally, I just yeah. feel like that I haven't really changed across my career, probably just learned little things along the way. Are you active on TikTok? I'm on TikTok. I'm not real active on it, though. I'm not, not a huge uh, TikToker. Uh, the latest Collingwood furor, obviously, being the, the TikTok trend that's emerged where Jack Inovan and Isaac Quainer were um, engaging in a TikTok trend where you rate girls um, and then re-rate them based on a flaw or, or some sort of red flag or whatever it might be. A uh, bit of a non-event given it's all over TikTok and hasn't been reported in probably with the right context. Yeah, I, I'm not huge on TikTok, but I, do, I did see it um, a few days ago. 
And I actually asked my brother this morning because I saw it on the news and he's probably more active on TikTok than what I am. So I asked him and he said that it sort of started with the girls doing it to the boys. So yeah. mm. I don't see um, too much harm in it. I mean, it's obviously a yeah. talking point again for the Pies, <laughs> but we'll, we'll wait and see what I happens. I think given it's two Collingwood players and the week that uh, the club has had it, it probably that's why it's a story, but I, I just think there's nothing in that at all. No, and I think it frustrates me as a member of the media when it probably isn't delivered with the context that it probably needs to be. You know, no. you can look at that video in isolation and think, oh, it's a bit dodgy. Mm, yeah. uh, what are these guys doing? But then when you do think of the context being that it's a TikTok trend, it might not be the smartest TikTok trend, um, but you're right. Every man, dog, girl, boy, dog, fish is kind of engaging in this trend at the moment and TikTok trends move so quickly that it can be kind of hard to stay on top of it. So perhaps next time something like that is brought up, it does require the right context and I, I think it's a bit of a non-event. So, yeah. um, Dunks... Bailey Smith's been in the news a, a little bit recently. He's had a, had a few struggles. Um, he's suspended, having a few weeks off. He's had uh, the revelation of, of the white powder thing. Um, and obviously the statement came out that he's been struggling with mental health issues. Uh, I remember last year you wrote an article for us on ESPN.com.au uh, that the mental toll that footy can have on a player, um, namely sort of the, the way that players are approached outside of the game or they are um, berated on social media for you know not hitting the right disposal numbers, missing goals, all this kind of stuff. Um, Bailey Smith, one of the most, you know, quite unquote marketable players in the league, you know, as many people would have you believe. Firstly, how's he going the last couple of weeks? Has he been, uh, you know, over the bye? Have you been in contact with him and, and, and just how he's going? Yeah, I mean, I, I actually, the first time I saw him was yesterday at the footy club because he was crook for a few days post the, the Geelong game. So, and we obviously had our bye as well. So, um, I had a bit of a chat to him yesterday. And as you can imagine, uh, he probably feels like the world's coming down on him at the moment. And, it's sad because a lot of players go through their ups and downs and I strongly believe that there's a lot of people out there with mental health problems and Baz is one of those that's probably more extreme than others but for him to yeah, sort of be um, in the media and public eye as you mentioned all the time it's a hard one for him to really cope with so we're wrapping our arms around him and trying to help him get through um, everything that he's sort of been through and he's been very open in the public which I think is great um, for, for him and us as a footy club so yeah, we just got to support him, as I mentioned, and hope that um, you know he comes back at the end of the year and plays some really good footy for us. What sort of attention does he get day to day? If you have open training sessions or mm. you know you're getting a coffee with him, is it just noticeably a lot more than what other players get? Yeah, he's uh he's like a rock star, man. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, I probably after the 2016 Grand Final, that was probably one of the times that all of us felt like we were. You know, you get off the bus on the Sunday at Whitnoble and everyone's trying to reach over and touch you. Like, you feel like a movie star, like Chris Hemsworth sort of-esque. But Baz is like that all the time. Like, he's he's got people walking past a training facility on a main session day just to get a photo with him. And kudos to him because he actually goes out there and gives them time and, and puts in the effort to, to get a photo or sign a signature or whatever it might be. So he's, uh, he's a good person. I mean, he's obviously got to deal with a lot in the public eye and... But credit to him, he does he does give back to the community when when the time's right. What's what's your role as a teammate when you see um, those photos and perhaps videos emerge, um, as we all saw the other week? What's your role as a teammate when that when that comes out? Are you just messaging him saying, "Mate, you're okay," or what? What do you guys do? Yeah, we we probably we do do that. We reach out to him. It's obviously hard because his phone would be going off. So there's an element to getting over to him and supporting yeah. him but also giving him the time and space because I'm sure his support network that he's got is you know tight knit and he knows who he can reach out to so if it's like I've messaged him before saying if he ever needs to reach out to me then yeah. he's got to feel free to, to do that so I'm sure that he has those guys there that he talks to and um, he knows that us as a footy club or as a playing cohort that we're always going to be there to support him so yeah I didn't reach out straight away but I think it's important for for everyone to know that He's in a good space at the moment, and yeah, we're going to support him through it. What's he like away from the spotlight? I mean, you would see him, you know, in, in, the, in the locker room, uh, at training, maybe you know, like I said, getting a coffee afterwards mm. or whatever. Is the Bailey Smith we see, um, you know, on cameras or from you know TikToks or, or Instagram reels or anything like this? Is how different is it to what we you would see day to day? Oh, I wouldn't say too different. He's very quirky, sort of out there type of guy, and that's probably the good thing about him is his personality is pretty public. And I think that everyone knows what he's like. So what you see is what you get with Baz. And he does some things that people might not agree with. Um, you know, talking to someone in the crowds, one that I probably wouldn't do, but it doesn't surprise me that he did that sort of thing. So 
he's a good guy, as I mentioned, and yeah, he's he brings a different light to to our group, and you know, a lot of personalities at the footy club. I'm sure every footy club's the same, and you just got to to uh, I suppose learn and and adapt to everyone's personality and bring it all together at the end of the day, and hopefully play some good footy. There a difference between media spotlight and then social media spotlight for a lot of these players. Do you find that you know if you have to do media, like you come in, you do the podcast with us, or yep. you might be required to do a press conference every now and then? Do you find that different to the sort of attention that you do get on social media? And because social media can be so faceless at times, is that what makes it a lot tougher? Yeah, I think so. I think social media is yeah faceless, as you mentioned. Like guys can or people can just go on there and write whatever they want to you. Yeah. Whereas in a live press conference if you would ask me a question that I didn't really like like it's probably a bit different in that regard and you can have those conversations off air there and then rather than someone sends you a message like I've you know I spoke about the one where about the Westgate Bridge for me a few years ago and that's like it's just very daunting because you can't have that conversation with that person and you, you go through some bad thoughts and things like that so Mental health—it's—it's it's a big thing in our game, uh, in wider society as well. I think it's a massive issue that everyone just needs to talk about it. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think that, as you mentioned, the the social media side of things is very brutal at times. Does your social media use um, does it dwindle at all? Given all of these stuff can happen, these keyboard warriors can message whatever the hell they want to you. Have you noticed that you just use it a lot less now? Yeah, I use—I've got a lot of filters on now. Like we get taught pretty much straight away when you come into the system early days I didn't really take much notice of it because you're just draftee yeah. and you don't really get hit up much but now like I've got all these filters to say like these types of words you don't want to see them or if it's a direct message or someone might not follow you and they can still message you so you just got to turn all those off and filter it yeah. as much as you possibly can because there are people that and I'm I'm today now like commenting back to some comments that are pretty brutal like someone like, I don't know last week I posted a photo on the farm and I had these boots on that they were actually like six months old, and they said that I don't reckon you've ever worked a hard day in your life. And I'm like, Are you taking Are you taking a leaf out of uh, Draymond Green's book? Yeah, well, Clapping I sort of feel like, well, I feel like they don't expect us to see it, yeah, mm. and feel it. So it's almost like, well, we do see it. Like I see it. It's on, it's on social media. It's on a photo that I've just posted. Mm. So how how can you have the guts to say that to someone as a person? Like, what did you say back? I just said you obviously don't know myself and my upbringing and yeah. the way that I've sort of came I, I came into the world, really. I grew up in the country, yep. didn't have much. Mum and dad obviously worked really hard. Dad played footy, but we grew up in a in a small town of 2,000 people. So we never used to come to Melbourne. It was a very sort of scarce area. And to get a comment like that just sort of, it actually annoyed me a little bit. So Surely a, there's amongst all the the negative stuff there's a good comment in there every now and then what's yeah. some of the good stuff that someone has said to you yeah there's always support like people yeah. love a few marriage knowing... proposals <laughs> yeah well well, people love knowing about your life so that's what that's what I try to put out there to people like trying to tell them you know what I do it's obviously different now to what it used to be because I was a little kid growing up yeah. but um, that's what your fans want to see so for me social media is all about showing that and everyone wants to know your personality out there so for players to then want to do it they've got to have the the positive stuff come back to them i feel a little sidebar we'll get we'll get back to this in a, in a second but um speaking of i guess abuse on social media i think champion data might have copped a fair bit christian on the weekend and you, do you find this often that that people who have multis or bets on games can kind of email in and sort of say where was this 25th touch for this player because apparently there was a bit of controversy with took miller um he finished with 24 disposals and there must have been a few people who might have had the overs on 25 uh, and they're, they're literally I see on Twitter they're, they're picking out points where it could have been a hand pass or it might have fallen out and, the, and they're just trying to get clarity is this something that happens on a weekly basis to you guys as well? Yes <laughs> weekly, yeah weekly slash daily basis and yeah um, reading Josh's uh, article last year um, that he did do for ESPN just really resonated with us as well we started to see a lot of it from about the festival fully the 2020 lockdown the amount of people that started obviously gambling on footy that hadn't gambled before that were... Again, some of it is what you're, what you're saying. It's just clarification. Hey, why isn't this amble? Why is this, you know, this kick that was smothered was paid a kick, whereas this one wasn't? That's great. We can engage in that sort of banner. But it is. It's the one that's just, hey, you got this wrong. He got 25. Well, that's not going to help anyone. Yeah, well, where, what, you know, what handball, a kick, what time? So you do see different ones, but it has. It's gone. It's ramped up in the last year and a half, two years. We've got an email um, address that people sort of hit up as well, which isn't manned 
during the weekend. It's more of a Monday to Friday thing. But again, we see we sort of know on a Sunday night or a Monday morning, all right, when we open up this email, based on what's been up on social media, mm. we're probably going to have 10 or 15 emails about Took Miller. And I think there was a Lockie Neal one a few weeks ago. And But as I said, it's weekly. But the big one for me now, which I think is dangerous, is I think this is the first year you can bet on the unders. For disposals. Yes, which I find is... That's the one thing that they de- they didn't have in. So we were getting accused of, you know, not paying enough disposals to Took Miller and, you know, and, and sort of being in bed with the betting companies. But now we can't get into bed with anyone because you can win either way. <laughs> but to me, I, I feel like betting on the unders is where, that's where problems can arise in footy. Hey, yeah. you know, you go to some, you know, you know you're know, a criminal or whatever. Or, yeah, go up to a first-year player and... who knows that they might be their last game for the year at round 20 and, you know, mm. they're about to pack up and get delisted. And, hey... If you can guarantee me you get under nine disposals, I can give you this much money and we can win this much. So the betting on the unders is probably something I would like to see disappear um, and just bet on the overs. But yeah, it has become a weekly thing and it definitely started probably lockdown onwards. When you look at emails like that, would you like to remind all our listeners about how this stuff is actually reviewed and it's not just some random number that you're plucking out of the air? Yeah, well, I mean, it is. It's, it's gone through, as I say, um, five sets of eyes before it sort of becomes a finalised stat, so five people almost have to okay that stat, which includes the person that plots where it is and the person that puts pressure on. So, again, some of it, it is it's it is helpful, and we can engage with the person that sort of says, at 13.30, you've paid this, and we can sort of go back and sort of show them what we saw or what frame we used to pay to handball or not pay to handball. And that, that stuff's fine, because as black and white as you want footy to be, there's always going to be grey stuff, and we say that to our callers and our trainee, you know, when we train people up, it's like nothing's just going to be black and white. There's going to be something that, you know, one person might call a hardball get versus yeah. a loose ball get and things like that. But it is, it's the it's the vitriol ones that was just like, you guys are wrong and this and there's no time that, like, and there's no sort of... the ACCC, I'm thinking. Yeah, well, well, exactly. We've had, yeah, we've had, you know, um, yeah, what do you call it? Uh, lawsuits threatened on us and things like that, which, again, I, I don't have to deal with it. So even though I'm one of the main callers, I can sort of drown that out and I feel like I'm a bit like, Josh, I'm not on, I'm not on social media much, so I don't, do it but i do know a couple other guys that will from from our work that will search champion data at 11 o'clock on a saturday night just to see what we're getting smashed and probably does ruin their sunday and they come in shitty on a monday and it's all just, and i say well just just don't read it like back back ourselves in and back our process in um but yeah the people that sort of say oh you know this took miller handball that's this mysterious and again i think one of the big ones that people are pointing out has actually been paid a handball this week so one of the times that we've been told we haven't paid a handball there is a handball there so again different people probably spend different amounts of energy on it but something i try to i try to drown out but again i do know that it can have a a personal effect on the guy that does have to go through the emails and and the twitter accounts to sort of yeah answer it all we established this last season but Champion data is not responsible for people's multis. Players aren't responsible. You can't control whether you're getting 25 or 30 touches or whatever it might be. I wish I could. Yeah, it would be good, wouldn't it? But I find it funny when you kind of see that sort of stuff because I saw a couple of tweets that popped up on my Twitter timeline uh, about and it had champion data tagged in them. Uh, and I saw a few people sort of saying, oh, how does this get checked and all that? So there we go. That's uh, It goes through a few sets of eyes. Mm, uh, one other hot topic uh, that always comes up at this time of the year, Christian, is the uh, conjecture around the uh, elite players that, that sort of comes out. Um, are you able to pro- provide some clarity? I think we probably have a good grasp on, on how this, this all works, but uh, some clarity on how a player is actually rated elite, why they're rated elite. I think uh, an example that I've seen this week is Sam Sulkowski being rated elite and then Christian Petrarca, for instance, not being rated elite. I know from our point of view, we know that's comparing apples with oranges, but yeah, what sort of clarity can you provide to the uh, listeners out there as to why or how you guys come to that uh, decision? Yeah, so again, it's it's using a single measure. So this is using AFL player ratings. I think the one that's just been released this week is about who dropped in and who's become elite and who's dropped out of being elite from the start of the year. But again, Champion data doesn't have a category. We don't have a stat where you say that this guy's elite. What we use for elite is your, your top 10% in a certain category. So we have elite disposal winners. That'll be the top 10% uh, disposal winners or your elite, you know, for inside 50s or elite for player ratings. So again, this is using player ratings. I think this is just using a straight season one. So again, Herald Sun might do one or Fox Footy might do one at the start of the year that's based on a two-year rolling average. So everyone has different ways. And that's probably one of our biggest bugbears as well is the headline just says champion data reveals who's elite. But it doesn't actually say, hang on, Fox Sports have chosen what stats they've wanted to use 
And all they've done is just taken the top 10% of players in that stat, which there becomes the elite. So again, we use player ratings as a as one of our top measures, but we also have ranking points. So we would have two groups of elite players. And again, when we talk about elite players, we're looking at you just within your position. So again, Sam Sutkowski is a general forward. So he's getting compared to the other 100 general forwards out there. And for, for him to be elite, he needs to be in the top 10 general forwards, which he obviously is. Petrarca, probably similar. He's probably going up against 200 midfielders. So again, he only needs to be in the top 20, but he might just drop out of that, which again, might surprise some people. But it's not saying Sam Switkowski straight up next to Christian Petrarca is a better player. It's just that <laughs> Sam Switkowski is higher rated in his position yeah. than Christian Petrarca is as a midfielder. So that's a, that's another funny one where we do the preseason ones. And again, a lot of people are comparing the two. You know, this guy's elite and Jeremy Finlayson's elite, but you don't have Ollie Wine's elite sort of thing. It's like, well, Jeremy Finlayson was getting compared to 35 other key forwards that played enough games and Ollie Wines was getting compared to 380 other midfielders that had played enough games in those two years. So again, yeah, probably a couple of things is, yeah, it's very position dependent that a lot of people miss. And two, it's probably always, it's slightly different measures that it's the media outlets that are running it will usually use. So as I said, at the start of the year, a lot of it is based on two years worth of rolling averages, but probably the article they did this year would just be based on the first 13 rounds and who's been elite based on player ratings in that time. Speaking of elite, I don't know if he is rated elite, but he's been very, very good this season. Uh, Tim English re-signed for the Dogs. Must be a massive um, relief when you have someone who's been so good at their position and so close to you on the ground where you'd go, great, we've got him locked in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Timmy's future was always up in the air and there's been a lot of talk about you know, where what was going on. He's obviously his partner lives in Perth and things like that. So... It's nice to be able to lock Timmy in and know that he's going to be there for the future because he is such an important player to us. And I mean, when you when you see him miss games of footy and how much it impacts us as a as a playing group, um, he's probably one of our most important players out there. To be honest, like he's the way he's grown, and I've watched every little second of it. To be honest, because he got drafted in twenty seventeen, I'm fairly sure, and um, or twenty sixteen, I think he was. So yeah, just the way that he's grown, and he came in as a tall big stick man and now he's a he's starting to put on some size and he's had a bit of a rough year with you know sickness and injury and things like that so um to see him out there again playing footy and good footy for us is really important so he's obviously a number one ruckman at the club so he ranks pretty highly in hit outs and pretty good at clearances but yeah the stat i look for him as well is he's second for score involvements and fourth for intercept marks so he's doing it at both ends of the field as well as being the number one ruckman he's sort of yeah giving you value everywhere. yeah I think that's where he's he's grown his game so much is he's damage around the ground and the way that he can use it too he's like another he's essentially another midfielder for us so <laughs> if he doesn't win the tap out he actually might get the clearance because his follow up works so good do you find that bigger players like that you got a couple at the club uh, Jamal you Hagen it just takes longer for these big guys to kind of develop and grow either into their bodies or confident with their bodies yeah, for sure. I mean, compared to midfielders, that is. Yeah, well, midfielders are like I remember. I was you know eighty six kilos and one eighty eight centimeters tall when I got drafted, and I haven't really changed much from them. I would have put on a couple of kilos, but these guys are putting on you know fifteen to twenty kilos when they get drafted and to where they are now. So I think Timmy's actually put on that much in terms of his size. So you got to give him time as supporters. It's probably sometimes frustrating when uh, it's not going their way early, but I think the experience and That'll then build the confidence for them to to take it up to the best in the competition. Uh, you said that you were pretty close by when Cody Waitman um, suffered his elbow dislocation. Mm. Is he going to play this week? I think he's a chance, which is very, very bizarre because the way that that looked when I ran past him on the weekend was terrible. And then after the game, he had it all strapped up and the swelling was actually overhanging the tape. So... That's something you wouldn't like. <laughs> Jared's just uh, disgusted. About to leave the room. Right? I reckon yeah. I, I dislocated a finger when I was seven, and I didn't play for like six weeks because I was scared of like redoing it. So it just goes to show how tough some of these footballers are. And Waitman's another one who's had a bit of media scrutiny on him about the way that he plays the game, way mm. that he, you know, quote unquote, dives for free kicks and all this sort of stuff. Was there a conversation with him at the club about how he goes about his footy in the in the lead up to a game where he kicks five and comes back on after being injured? No, nah, there wasn't really, a, there was, or there wasn't at all a conversation about those types of things. I think he went on, or he went in the media and it was sort of perceived a different way. So for him, he's always, you know, doing his little craft stuff on the floor, pre-training, post-training. You know that what he's doing out there, he's not trying to get free kicks. I don't think anyone goes out there trying to get free kicks. I know there was vision of um, Jack Ginevan at training trying to teach one of the, the defenders at, at the Pies to get a high free kick, which is pretty bizarre. But... <laughs> 
I think that stuff's all all a bit of a laugh. He's probably doing it on purpose, to be honest, just to yeah. to get the camera. Sees the cameras there, yeah, a bit yeah. of a Bailey Smith kind of. Yeah. Like, sees the cameras, acts up a bit. Yeah, but Cody, I mean, he's been such an important player for us. Kicked obviously five on the weekend, and to see him come back out after dislocating his elbow, I know what it's like after popping something out and it's in the wrong spot. It's takes a lot of guts. So highly respect him for it, and I'm sure a lot of people out there that might have had differing opinions now have now have changed. How hard does he work on his game? Because we see how talented he is. Comes up and kicks five pretty much whenever he wants. Um, but then he obviously is a player that comes with that sort of scrutiny. Mm. One of the players that might, might accentuate contact a little bit. Um, and as I say, that comes with its public scrutiny. But you know, how hard do you see him working at training? Yeah, he's probably one of the ones at the club that works the most on his game. And as I mentioned before, you see him in there at 7.30 in the morning when you don't really have to be there till 8.30 and he's working on his craft and... Aaron Norton's another one. Um, there's a lot of guys that are really pushing themselves to be better footballers, and Cody's no surprise to me that he comes up and kicks five goals like most weeks because he he does the work at or behind the scenes. So um, yeah, I think it's really good for him and us when he's up and about playing good footy. Speaking of working on the craft, you've had a pretty decent season. You've added goal kicking to your sort of repertoire. I think you've kicked 11 goals, which equals your career best for an entire season. Yeah, and we're just entering the second half of the year. I think uh, goals in seven of your last eight. Is that something you've been actively working on? Yeah, well, it's probably come with my change in role, playing a little bit more forward. Uh, yeah, the past few weeks, or the past probably five, six or seven weeks. Um, I remember the start of the year, I was zero seven. I'm fairly sure, and copping heat for my goal kicking. So I'd take that as a <laughs> bit of a compliment, mate. But it's nice to be able to go forward and have the scoreboard impact. I mean, I always talk about, or well, think about growing my game, and that's probably something that. I've always tried to point out and, and figure out how I can impact more. So to be able to go forward and do that is obviously a, a big improvable for me and something that I'm going to continue to work on. And along with my contested marking, I think, you know, being a taller midfielder, it's good to have that up your sleeve. 11-2 you... as well in that time. So the, the accuracy is definitely right? improved. Yeah, yeah I remember, I, I remember the two that I missed. So <laughs> I was They're disappointed with them. Do you find then, if with a bit of a change of role, if you know you're going to be playing a potentially a high half-forward role or, or whatever it might be, do you then go away and do extra work on your goal-kicking just in case you do get the chance? Yeah, it is hard. When you when you look at the week and how it all works with training, um, you know, we've probably got six mainstay inside mid. So m- most of our work at training is to do with the midfield and our line stuff is always to do with the mid stuff. So post-training, it's always about getting down and doing your marking or your set-shot goal-kicking. I know Brucey, Josh Bruce has been really good for me after those first few rounds where I wasn't as accurate as I wanted to be. He actually grabbed me on the side and we did some goal-kicking stuff post-training and before training and worked on little things here and there. So I think it's important to be able to, especially as a young kid growing up, you, want, you don't just want to channel yourself to being that one position player because the more positions you can play probably the more chance you are to get drafted and the more chance you are to play AFL footy. Goal kicking is such a talking point. It, all, it always is. We always talk about it. Um, Accuracy, expected score, can stem all these conversations. Correct. Is there is there actually a clear directive from the club and your coaches um, to work on your goal kicking or is it something that you need to undertake on your own uh, when you feel like you need to? Yeah, we've probably been guilty of not being the greatest uh, shots at goal for quite some time. I mean, I think it was 20... From 2019, we've always been a bit inaccurate. So there's a lot of stuff that's coming to our program. We do you know high-intensity drills and then run down and have shots of goal because it's hard to really emulate what it's like in a game. Yeah. I remember on the weekend when I got the set shot, I got a free kick, but I was genuinely cooked. And I don't reckon I've you get to that point at training, mm. to be honest. Like Everyone talks about training the way you play. You want to be cooked when you're having a shot at goal. So we try and emulate as much as that as possible, especially in the last couple of years. Mm. Especially, I guess, in like the last two minutes of a quarter or... Yeah. last two minutes of a game if you do happen to be you know that player where a loose kick comes out of defence and you're 40 out and take the, the mark if you're cooked you kind of want to have that experience of going back and being able to still kick it that 50 metres to get it through the sticks exactly yeah that's the hardest thing when you're like geez, I'm tested for distance here my legs are gone <laughs> <laughs> and you're looking at the goals you're like geez, they're a long way away uh, we talked about Timmy English being signed up. Uh, you're out of contract at the end of the year. Had some speculation in previous years. Have discussions started with the dogs about your future? Yeah, I mean, they obviously had a few to tick off and Bailey Dale and Caleb Daniel and Timmy obviously recommitting now. So I'm sure those conversations will start to heat up a little bit. To be honest, I don't really have much for you in terms of it. Um, everyone might think that I'm straight batting the answer, but I'm I'm being honest when I'm not. So yeah, we'll see uh, what happens over the next how few much, weeks. How much are you enjoying your time with the dogs, mate? Yeah, it's good. I mean, we've obviously... It's been a disappointing start to the year because we've lost some games that we probably shouldn't have lost and 
just a bit inconsistent with our form and the way that we've been attacking quarters. We want to get that four-quarter performance. And even on the weekend, we won against the Giants, but we're still disappointed with some of our defensive stuff. So being able to work on that and get that four-quarter performance is something that we're looking forward to doing in the second half of the year. Well, looking forward to this week's fixture, we, we mentioned off the top, but every single one of the top eight teams are playing one another. And then just outside, uh, the Dogs are playing Hawthorne this week. A win there and a loss to some of the other teams could see you jump back into the eight. Uh, you talk about missed opportunities, maybe that Adelaide game yeah. at Ballarat is probably one that you sort of pencil in and think, gee, we really could have had that that put away. Yeah, well, one point loss in Ballarat sort of hurts a lot. It hurt a lot at the time because, you know, we were really... They actually shut us down pretty well that game and um, credit to them, they, they brought the heat around the footy and they really took it up to us. So it's disappointing not to have that win because I think if we had that win now, our percentage is mm. better than... Better than the Four top or five. Everyone except the, yeah, the top five, I think. Yeah, so would have been nice to get it, but we're going to have to make it up in the back half of the year. How hard a venue is that to play at, just by the way, at, down at uh, Ballarat? Yeah, it's hard because you don't really know what the conditions are going to be like. We always expect a, a wind uh, normally blows to the far side of the ground. That Adelaide game, I remember, it was actually the opposite to what we've ever played. So mm. the wind was blowing the other way and um, a quite a heavy one. So, yeah, the other game that we played against the Suns was pretty much crystal clear down in Ballarat which you don't get very often so um, yeah it's a, it is difficult to play down there but we love going down there and it brings back the country sort of vibe in playing in those senior games as, as a kid growing up and you know smelling the, the, the hot pie stand and things like that it's great well you must look at the ladder then sitting 10th but think you know one extra win and a couple of losses to the teams above you you're right back in the mix uh, so clearly you know you might be a bit lower on the ladder right now but there's going to be an opportunity in the back half of the season to really sort of flex the muscle yeah, absolutely. I think we all have the strong belief that we can take it up to, to any team in the competition. I mean, we kicked eight straight against Melbourne in round one. We probably should have beaten Carlton in that in that last quarter of that game in round two. So there Did are a lot you of, uh, miss a couple of set yeah, shots Yeah, it's then? probably my fault, to be honest, mate. <laughs> I missed a couple of set shots, and I got, I got let known about that on social media after. Don't worry about that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we have that belief that we can take it up to any side. We've got some big games coming up. Um, obviously, Hawks this week, and then... I think it's Brisbane and then Sydney. So we're going to have to beat some good sides to, to make the finals. So our finals sort of pretty much starts now for us. Mm, fair enough. Christian, uh, like I said, first versus second, Melbourne, Brisbane. Uh, you've got Carlton hosting Fremantle. You've got Sydney and St Kilda playing one another. Is there a pick of the bunch this week? Because it looks like a pretty nice little slate of games. Yeah, well, it is. I think, to me, the biggest one for me is Geelong-Richmond just because of how many teams are can overtake those two. I mean, not so much Geelong, but a Richmond loss, and you're right, that can see the winner of St Kilda, Sydney, can go back above Richmond. Bulldogs can almost get above Richmond, or, you know, will be closer with, you know, with percentage in a game, I think, behind Richmond. So, and Geelong, the ability to sort of, as everyone said, flying under the radar, ability to really entrench themselves in the top four. So, as good as, yeah, Melbourne, Brisbane, uh, Carlton Free, I think the whole of Saturday is Carlton Free, um, I think it's Geelong Richmond's the first game into Carlton Frio into St Kilda Sydney, so it's a, it's a super Saturday if I've ever heard of one. But I think yeah, as I said, I think Carlton Frio and Sydney St Kilda are going to be great games as well. But just some, a, a lot riding on Geelong Richmond's result, I think. Mm. Do you find when it's a week like this, Dunks? Do you watch a lot of footy and sort of look at these other teams and think, well, these could be like mini finals between some of these sides, and this is the sort of footy that they're going to be playing? Yeah, absolutely. I think the you know the first half of the year, I do watch footy because I'm a bit of a footy head. Yeah. Um, I've been to a couple of games this year just to to watch a few players, but the back half of the year definitely becomes more interesting. And I think fans probably feel the same thing watching the game. You know that every result that happens is going to impact where your team's going to be. So for me, I'll be watching all those teams above probably this weekend and um, hoping that if we get the win, that they uh, they lose. <laughs> <laughs> Any uh, interesting tidbits, Christian, from these weekend's games that that you can kind of see impacting the results either way? Um, again, I think they all, we talk about every team in different styles. So Melbourne, Brisbane is very much when I look at it, Melbourne are very good at moving the ball from end to end and probably want to play a bit more open. They're, they're happy to have a lot of turnovers and for the ball to be flying end to end. Brisbane are very much lock it in their forward half and try to score. So I think they're the third best team from scoring for forward half. So again, sort of look at that game and think, well, yeah, Melbourne's almost happy for Brisbane to have a few more inside 50s in that game because they are good at sort of end to end scoring. Uh, Carlton Frio, again, it's probably... Carlton play with that sort of excitement and sort of that fast stuff out of stoppages and Frio are just so good at just shutting teams down from turnover and clearances and they already did it to Carlton once. I think as a Carlton supporter, that was one of the hardest games to watch <laughs> earlier this year where Frio just stifled the ball movement the whole game. So 
looking for that again. And as I said, Geelong Richmond is just another good one in terms of you look at Geelong have been so powerful all year, and you look at Richmond the last five weeks, and they're back to almost their premiership, their, you know, their premiership profile in that time. So both teams absolutely flying. But again, Geelong are probably more uh, looking for a slower sort of turnover game, whereas Richmond are sort of yeah happy to have have the ball go end to end. And I think Richmond at the moment are playing very much like Melbourne. I think. Across games, the ball's been turned over about 160 times in a Richmond game. Um, average is about 120, 130. So again, Richmond are very happy for the ball to be flying up and back and around, and sort of that's where their strength, their strong games come back in the last five weeks. With as their turnovers have gone up, so as their scoring and their defensive stuff, so they're happy for that chaos footy to keep going. Well, and now they've got players like Nick Lawson back in the side, able to run out of defence. Liam Baker, you know, first three quarters, his impact out of the back line is just sort of unmatched with his run and carry and his dare. So the more the Tigers get these kind of players back, the more that you just sort of have these sort of flashbacks to 2020, 2019, and you think they could possibly do some damage from, you know, a position like sixth or seventh, which your your team is obviously, um, uh, would would know a little bit about. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, is the hype justified or is the hyperbole? This is the, uh, the segment where I'll say a statement to you guys. You tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm speaking in hyperbole. JB. Yes. Jordan Degoe is unemployable as broadcaster Jared Waitley has claimed. Hyperbole in its purest form. I think, you know, no matter what a player goes through, um, you know, I'll, I'll probably get philosophical here like I, like I did before and say that we're all different. We all make mistakes. I don't think anyone's ever unemployable uh, or unrecruitable. So, look, it, it's it's made Degoe, you know, it's put him in a harder spot, what he's been through here. Um, because obviously it might you know scare some clubs away. Obviously Collingwood have pulled their contract from him, but I just don't buy that he's unemployable. So, you know, I look at other players that have made mistakes in the past. I mean, there's there's so often that you know players have these off-field troubles, but what happens is clubs just back their culture and their system in to try and get them in the right headspace. And I think that's the exact same thing that's going to happen. With Jordan Degoe, I mean, we don't know if it's going to happen, but it just comes down to him, doesn't it? So I think as a human, as a person, he knows and needs to understand that he's probably made some mistakes, but it's up to him to recognize that and it's up to him to make those changes. And if he can do that, then there is absolutely a club there for him. He's a great footballer and, um, you know, it's you know we, we might stand or sit here today and, and say it's hard to see him ever changing because he's, he's had so many chances, but he does have the capacity to change because other players have done it before and he's a person who's who's made a mistake, but there's no reason why he can't come back from it. One for you, though, Walshie. Luke Jackson, is he worth more than a million dollars a year? Uh, no, I don't think he is just yet. Third-year player, uh, promising talent, but I find that clubs that are willing to overpay or pay a lot of money for players from their home state just for them to come home. I'm just not sure why some of the figures that have been bandied around was like 10 and a half million over seven years or something for, for Luke Jackson. And he's a bright young star and he's got um, a lot of talent, but he also plays in a side with a lot of the time with Max Gorn, who's one of the premier rucks in the competition. So you wonder how much of his game is benefited from having such a uh, an, an awesome ruckman to kind of chop him out a bit. You sort of wonder about that. Um, look, you can look at Jared Witts, you know, Gold Coast skipper. He got traded up there for a pick in the 40s and the pick in the 60s. Uh, Mark Pitnett came from Hawthorne to Carlton for a pick. I think it averaged out in the 50s and has been, you know, an important part of their um, centre bounce work this season before he got injured. So you can kind of find these Ruckman and you don't have to pay too much. Dunks, do you have an opinion on whether Ruckman, how important they are to a, a setup, and, and whether paying a lot of money for one in particular might or might not be worth it as much? Yeah, I think it depends on the system. I know. Did the offer come from Frio? Is that what the That's word what was? I think the rumour was. Yeah, it was yeah. Frio, not West Coast. Yeah, I mean, Ruckman are really important. Big guys are important to, to clubs these days. So I can understand... Um, Freo going after him uh, for sure but yeah I don't know if they're that important when you're trying to get a third year second year player out of the out of the footy club like you said I think it's um, him working alongside Max Gorn probably helps him a lot play uh, good footy and he'll have more energy around the ball when he does go around there because he's getting chopped out by one of the, the greatest ruckmen in the comp so I, th- I do think they are important but also I agree with you to be fair, though, if you offered that sort of money, you'd take it and run, wouldn't you? Oh, it's a lot of cash. I saw it. I saw it on Twitter, and yeah, it was a. It was actually I was like nearly thrown off my chair when I saw that. <laughs> no Max Gorn though for the next month, so probably a good opportunity for him to actually try really and good test for the next few worth, weeks. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure a few clubs will be watching that very closely. Uh, Josh, 
would you engage in the shy Bolton taunting and then show the ball to an opposition player as you're running into goal? Is that something you'd do? <laughs> For those that know me, I reckon they would know my answer to this. But no, nah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't engage in it. Um, I know a lot of players probably look at that and are disappointed in him. I think what Richmond did and they came out and said, you know, they don't really stand for that. I think it was a really good club opinion that um, it's not something that they want to be known for. So, but at the same time, I get someone like, you know, we talked about Baz before, how he was talking to the guy in the crowd. Like, they bring their own personality, these types of players, to the game and you've got to enjoy those moments. Um, I wouldn't do it personally, but I'm sure... Um, everyone would understand why why he did it. Does it work though? Like, so if someone say you were playing the Tigers and Shay's done that to you, you're chasing him and he's stuck the ball out in your face before he runs in and kicks an open goal. Do you you know try and target him at the next contest? How hard do you go at him? Does it actually work? Yeah, I think oh you'd probably react to it. <laughs> yeah. You would. I mean, who did he show it to? I think he showed it to Sam Doherty. Doherty. Yeah. And I th- I'm fairly sure Louis Young, who was an ex or oh, ex teammate of mine, he went over to him after it. I saw in the vision, maybe said something to him just to not showboat as much. But I, I saw uh, Nick Lawson came out after the game, I think it was, and said, oh, I hope we won the game after that point because if they had lost, it would have been a terrible look for him. So yeah. those little things are, as I mentioned, a bit of character in the game and I'm sure people have differing opinions, but we move forward. As a relative veteran of now 25, do you find <laughs> when the players come in, like young players come into the club and, and have a bit of, you know, cheek about them that you, you kind of need to say look this is the big leagues they will get you if you do not deliver on what you're sort of you know sh- the showboating or the, the attitude and stuff like that yeah I think there's an element to that definitely if you know we talked about before just younger guys coming into the comp and not really understanding the spotlight that's on them and you know for teams to be up and down so much these days I was actually going to say something that I noticed was how even the competition is on the weekend mm. you know SNM won Friday night, Richmond v Carlton, who are who are above them. The, the comp's never been so even. So to be in that position where it could go either way, you've got to be careful about what you do and how you're perceived because things can come down on you pretty quickly if you if you do lose games of footy. So for us, we like to remind our younger players to still bring their personality but cap it off at a certain point. For sure. Uh, we're going to wrap things up very shortly. Christian, I did have one for you, but we did talk about it earlier. So I guess it's just time for you to unequivocally say, does champion data cost punters multis? Oh. <laughs> Not deliberately, no. <laughs> Very good. Um, hey, Josh, thanks so much for coming in. I know it's a bit of a, a trek and a bit uh, a bit more difficult compared to on Zoom when you can just fire up the laptop. Yeah. So thank you very much for coming in. It's all right. Thanks C- for having me. Christian, good to chat with you always. as always. Jared, good to speak with you. Likewise. Uh, I'll be away next week. So Jake mm. will be back and you can take the reins. Yes. So that'll be, be fun. A much improved podcast. Oh, <laughs> very good. Hey, uh, footy tips, get your, your tips in. It's another Thursday night game this week. So make sure you do not forget and get those tips in. Uh, to everyone at home, we'll speak to you in the next episode. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod, wherever you get your podcasts.